Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. No show opening rant today, ladies and gentlemen. Not going to do that to you again. Not going to do that to me again. By having a plan, yelling about the length of the finals, and then ultimately deciding that that was... uh, Too long of a rant to actually do a show with it. So today we're diving straight in almost before the music fades out to cover the Brooklyn Nets, a really fun and interesting fantasy team as we pivot towards the 2023-2024 NBA campaign. And I mean, there, there are a couple things that are floating around about this club that could still upend what we think we know. But the beautiful part about the Nets is that the names coming off the books are, with the exception, I guess, of Seth Curry, not guys that really played a pivotal role. The highest minute players for the Brooklyn Nets down the stretch last year, the six players who logged 27 minutes or more, were Spencer Dinwiddie, who played about 35 minutes a game during that stretch, Mikhail Bridges, who was right there with him at about 35 before they gave him the uh, 32nd final game that kind of butchered his numbers a little bit. Um, Third most, I think, was Cam Johnson over that stretch, if I'm not mistaken. 31. Nick Claxton, just a shade under 31. And then Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith were each around 27 minutes per game. And then when you dig deeper, which I guess is not all that much deeper, when you just sort of scan across your board, you find that the first four names I mentioned, the guys who cleared 30 minutes per game, those are the guys that were inside the top 100 at various ranges throughout. The thing that I think is going to surprise everyone is that, and look, I love Mikhail Bridges. You guys know that he's been a an old man, type favorite for a while. Uh, I think he's been on the old man squad for two or three years running. He's been a big sports ethos guy for a while. Sure, we're going to spend some time talking about Mikhail. But the player on the Nets who was ranked the highest after the All-Star break was not Mikhail Bridges. It was not Cam Johnson. And it was not Spencer Dinwiddie. It was their big man, Nick Claxton, who finished... The season, post-All-Star break, I think it was like 22, 23 games, something like that, inside the top 20 on a per-game basis. It was a great season overall, by the way, for Claxton. I don't think we want to take anything away from that. You know, the entire season for Nick, he was still inside the top 30. I think he was number 24 in 76 ball games, So by totals, it was actually even better. He was number 17 by totals this year. Nets are stuffed to the absolute brim with relatively healthy dudes, by the way, as another footnote on this club. But it was actually even better than that down the stretch. After the trades of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, Claxton was... I don't want to necessarily say forced into a larger role because his season numbers and his numbers down the stretch were actually remarkably similar. The big difference was actually that his free throw number came up. And so the question then for Claxton becomes, is this a sustainable bump 
from mid-50s to low-60s. Because that little change for him, from hitting 54% of his foul shots and taking over three per game, to hitting 63% of his foul shots, turned him from a punt free throw guy to a bad free throw guy. And it seems a funny little, almost nomenclature switch, but it's actually a really big deal. Thank you to the fine folks who program the math algorithms over at, at the Basketball Monster Player page. You can see that what Claxton had done for the bulk of the season, if you want to just separate it to pre- and post-All-Star break, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Pre-All-Star break, he was actually at 51%, and post, he was at 63 51% on over three free throws per game is a punt free throw number. He's basically, you know, if you look at the, the value columns on the Basketball Monster page, that's a great way to gauge, like, what you'd need to do to offset that. There was one player in the NBA who could single-handedly offset what Claxton was doing to a team's free throw number, and that was Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who had the best free throw weighted impact of anybody in the NBA. There were a couple guys that were close. Dame was somewhat close. In that regard, Trey Young was somewhat close to being able to wipe it out. But basically, you're talking about the three best free throw volume guys in the NBA this year could have a shot to wipe out Nick Claxton's negative. Oh, you have Shea on your team? You think you're in good shape for foul shots? Well, sorry. Now you're average again. And as a point of comparison, if you look at what Claxton did... Post-All-Star break. Now, again, we don't know which of these is real. Overall on the season, it averaged out to still, like, mostly a punt free throw guy. There were, like, two or three, maybe four other players in the NBA that could do enough to wipe out what he was over the entire season. But if you're only looking post-All-Star break, where, again, it's not like he was blowing the, the roof off the building at 63%, but that is a huge difference. He's basically going from making one and a half out of three, or basically uh, effectively making three out of six free throws every two games. That was basically where he was at for most of the season. Or over a given decent fantasy week, he was going six for 12 at the free throw line every week for your head-to-head team, to now going eight for 12. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. Those two made free throws are... You look at other places on your team, guys that could then kind of miss two free throws or just don't even worry about it from that standpoint. Just look at the names on the board of guys who can wipe out someone shooting a a relatively low volume, almost two-thirds-ish percent at the free throw line. By weighted impact, Jason Tatum can cover that. Jimmy Butler could cover that. Steph Curry could cover that. Mikhail Bridges, his teammate, could cover it. Harden. Freddie Van Vliet. These are all guys, Kyrie Irving, DeMar DeRozan, Lowry Markinen. And then there's a, a whole host of guys that are relatively close, but not quite all the way there. Like Donovan Mitchell is very close to being able to cover that gap. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize... You're out of drinks. 
Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Who else? Jamal Murray, Kristaps uh, Porzingis, Jalen Brunson, Trey Murphy, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Kawhi Leonard, Darius Garland, and on and on and on and on and on. Desmond Bain down the board, Paul George. The reason I bring all of that up is that if those guys are close to covering it, you get one other decent foul shooter on your team, and now you've turned yourself back into a slightly above-average free-throw shooting team despite having Claxton on the board, despite having him on your roster. That's a huge deal. From being able to, and again, this is not in a good way, for Claxton being able to single-handedly wipe out whatever free-throw advantage you were building by ending up with Shea or Trey or I already forgot who the third player was that I talked about a moment ago. Not a huge deal. Is it a huge deal? Dame was the other one. To then being a guy that you can kind of game plan to just sort of slowly wipe away with a couple of good free throw shooters. You don't have to go get the best ones on the board, but having them would overwhelm it. If you still had Shea and you got second half Nick Claxton, it's a drop in the bucket. You're still a very good free throw shooting team. So we don't know which of those is true, but we do know that that one little change moved Claxton from an early third rounder to a mid-second round value down the stretch per game. Mid-second. Moving up the board when you're already near the top is incredibly difficult. It's not like when you're ranked at 95 you know, think about it from this standpoint. Like, if you're thinking about Nick Claxton, what difference did he, his jump to go from like 26 to 30 range up to 18? That's the same, basically, as if he, if he was, let's say he was ranked like 90th and he made that same jump. He'd go from 90th to basically 75. Or 70, sorry. 90th to 70th, basically. Not 75. So it's like jumping six slots in one area is the same as jumping 20 in another. And this is just with a 9%, effectively, a 9% field goal bump for him. For a guy, again, who's only taking 3.2 per game, it is a colossal difference maker. And it's the thing that moved him from behind Mikhail Bridges to in front of Mikhail Bridges, who, by the way continues to be arguably the most durable player in the NBA. Bridges, that is. Now, again, these are all these, like, he is until he isn't. How many games in a row can you play before your body breaks down? 
We'll find out, won't we? I don't think that I would say it's going to be this coming year. You can't just be like, oh, well, this is the time when it's going to fall apart. So before the trade, by the way, Bridges is already having a pretty damn good season in Phoenix. He was ranked inside the top 35 at that point. Claxton was number 32 before the All-Star break because of the free throw thing. After the All-Star break, when... And Cam Johnson, by the way, you remember he blew out his meniscus, so he was number like around the 75 range for uh, for Phoenix. Spencer Dinwiddie was in Dallas. He was uh, also in that kind of 80 range. Dinwiddie's value actually went down, but I don't want to get to him. In a, I, I want to save him for just a minute from now. Mikhail Bridges, who... All right, well, first of all, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am Dan Vespris. As I told you, I wanted to dive straight into the fantasy today after, uh, well, frankly, um, screwing that one, screwing the pooch on that one yesterday. So let's talk bridges. Pre-trade, uh, 59, 60 ball games. Post-trade, whatever it was, 23, 24 games. Yes, he played 83 games during this regular season which was hilarious and amazing. The ultimate sign of durability. Not only do you play all 82, but because you go from a team that had a heavy early schedule to a heavy late schedule, you actually have an opportunity to go in 83, which they did, but then he yanked him after one minute in that last ballgame. Um, so that, by the way, is why we're not... I'm not including the final game of the year in my assessment of Bridges, because that one wasn't a game. With Phoenix, Bridges was at about 18... 17, 18 points per game, four and change rebounds, three and change assists, two defensive stats, just under two three-pointers on 47% from the field, 89 at the free throw line, and 1.4 turnovers per game. Ball got put in his hands quite a bit more in Brooklyn than it was in Phoenix. His scoring jumped like a crazy person from uh, 17.5 points per game to 27.5 points per game. Threes went up to 2.5. Rebounds stayed the same. Assists actually came down ever so slightly. That I think you could probably blame on uh, the players around him a little bit, but also just like being a little bit more of a scoring focal point. Defensive stats, not surprisingly, also came down a little bit from 2 to 1.6. Free throws stayed good. Volume went higher. He became a, a higher impact free throw shooter. And turnovers didn't actually go up all that much from 1.4 to just 1.8. Per game value for Bridges only went up from 35 to 26, which is interesting when you consider that massive scoring and three-point bump was, again, offset by lower assists, lower steals, lower blocks, slightly higher turnovers. Although, again, the, you know, the big scoring, the big three, the threes jump, the big free throw volume jump, you kind of would have thought that would have had a larger impact on things, but it does remind us of how much steals and blocks do factor into a player's value. 0.2 steals and 0.2 blocks, which is, that was the decline. Doesn't seem like a lot, but again, together, 0.4 of those in every ball game, you're talking about almost 40 combined steals and blocks over the course of a season. That's a big deal. Is it a big enough deal to be nervous? No, I, I don't think that's the case at all. And there's every reason to think that Bridges is going to be sort of the main horse on this club next year. Because again, the one way that this thing gets derailed even a little bit is a magical Ben Simmons thing. But even if he does work his way back, he's not a dude that wants to shoot anyway. I don't, I'm not going to bank on Ben Simmons being a factor, but the rest of this team is pretty much the same. 
We'll get to Cam Johnson and his contract situation momentarily, but Bridges is uh, under contract for three more years. Simmons, two more. Dinwiddie, this is now his contract year coming up. Same thing with Joe Harris, Nick Claxton, Royce O'Neal, Patty Mills. Is he still there? Doesn't matter. Is Patty Mills still on this team at the end of the season? Yeah, I think he's still there. Um, Cam Thomas, Deron Sharp. Like, did you guys hear any names as I was just rolling through them that are about to just take over that mantle from Bridges? No. The only way that changes is if Brooklyn makes a large-scale move this offseason. At what point we'd be spending a, a podcast talking about that anyway. For our purposes, we need to handicap this team like they're going to stay largely the same. And I think in a... a I don't want to call it a worst-case scenario, but in a... Like, I'd call it most probable scenario. They do stay largely the same. And your only question when handicapping Mikael Bridges, in my eyes, because you got to figure he's going to take a ton of shots. The shots are going to be there. He is the He's their guy now. Will it be 20 shots per game? I don't know. That's maybe remains to be seen. Could that come down a little bit? I guess. My question for Bridges is... Do the steals and blocks come back up to two per game, or do they stay more in this one-and-a-half range? That's that's the calculation on Bridges that moves him from what I imagine will be a second-round ADP. He's probably going to go late second round. Because now that he scores, he's no longer going to be below the radar. Is he someone that I would take around pick 24? Yeah, I mean, I guess so, because... Even if the per game number peters out a little bit, even if he drops back into the low 30s or whatever in that range, he's shown now he does certainly possess that 10th category in a way that very few players in the NBA you can point at and be like, look, this guy, like things change and there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in an NBA season, but if this dude is upright, he's going to be in the ball game. That's the Bridges way. If he's upright, he's going to play. That's awesome. That's a really nice, relaxing thing to have. Now, is there the per-game upside that maybe someone else in the second round might possess? Eh. Again, we've sort of seen it. Which is, if he goes on a hot stretch where he shoots 52% for a few weeks on this super high volume, that's when he has first-round value. But then it seems to level off when he has a one- or two-week stretch where he shoots like 42% on super high volume. And that's how he settled back into that kind of late second, early third per-game number. The way he gets back into the middle of the second round in per-game is for steals and blocks to move back up. The way he gets into the first round consistently is field goal percent jumping back up where it was when he was just kind of playing sidekick in Phoenix. I don't think that that happens. I don't think the field goal percent comes back up when he's going at this volume. I don't think the steals and blocks come back up when he's going at this volume on offense. I think what we saw is what it's going to be, which is like mid to late 20s, maybe even as late as early 30s. So my worry is that Mikael Bridges, longtime old man squad and sports ethos dominator, is no longer going to be overlooked and is going to get drafted at 24-25. And folks are going to kind of price him out a little bit. 
you've got the durability factor, so there's there's always going to be that that sort of nice hammock for head to headers. But if you're drafting him at 25 and hoping that he's going to be like number eight per game, that's probably not going to happen. Where do I think Nick Claxton's going to go? I guess we didn't talk about that a minute ago. I don't have the first bleeping clue where Nick Claxton's going to get drafted this coming season. Truly no idea. None. I get the feeling most folks didn't realize that he was a top 20 player down the stretch. And again, it's because of free throw percent, which has that big variability thing for him. But the other stuff was relatively consistent. Steals were over one down the stretch. Course of the season, it was more like, you know, 0.8, 1 range. Blocks were over two. Scoring and rebounding was almost the same pre and post All-Star break. About 12 points per game, about nine rebounds, and it fluctuated a little bit. Great field goal percent, bad free throw, and then again, the question is how bad is the free throw? I think you might see Claxton go kind of in that Jared Allen range after, remember, he had a really good year and then started getting drafted kind of late 20s, early 30s, maybe even into the mid-30s. Is there a chance that Claxton kind of comes back down a little bit? Yeah, possibly. But if he slips beyond that, then there's then there's a lot there. I don't know. I just get the feeling that he's going to go around where he should, and I could be wrong about that. I'm just guessing on these things anyway. Sometimes you can get a pretty strong feeling for what someone's ADP is going to be. I, th- I mean, with the Bridges scoring bump, it feels almost a guarantee that his ADP is going to be much closer to where he finished up because Claxton didn't score all that much. He did it with defensive stats, field goal percent. Now, of course, with the the punt build stuff, maybe that pushes him up the board a little bit more, but I don't know. 30s? Feels like a 30s range guy, like a mid to late third rounder in ADP. So there is a little bit of upside built in there, but... So let's assume for a moment, by the way, Cam Johnson is a restricted free agent. I've got to, I, I have to believe that Brooklyn's going to try to retain him. It's like an $8 million cap hold, I think, right now as the qualifying offer. I'm sure they'll, they'll make him one, and they'll probably try to sign him for an, an extension of some kind. Cam Johnson was number 50, 5-0 down the stretch with Brooklyn. Played 31 minutes per game, which, by the way, that's a number that could potentially even go higher. 17 points, 5 boards, 2 assists, 1.4 steals, 0.3 blocks on 48% from the field and 87% of the free throw line. He's a good source of scoring and threes and steals without hurting your percentages. So it's like 3 and D, but percentages built in. That's why the rank is as high as it was, even without a ton of rebounding or assists, 7 of those combined. Also low turnovers, so, you know, fun for 9-cat. I think Cam Johnson probably because of his meniscus, is a guy that goes underdrafted this coming year. I think there's also a, a very real chance that he takes more than 12 shots as he settles in with Brooklyn. Dinwiddie took 14, Bridges was at 20. What if McHale's comes down a tiny bit in favor of Cam? I'm not talking about anything significant here, because again, but Bridges is the guy that they're building around. He's now their new star. But let's say Cam's shots go up from 12 to 12 and a half. Every little bit is where you ring out a little bit more of that possible upside. And if you're thinking the 1.4 steals seems unseasonably high, 
Yeah, maybe a little bit, but look, in Phoenix, he was at one steal in only 26 minutes per ball game, and throughout his career, he's been fine in that regard. Not terrific by any stretch, so I don't know that we can necessarily say, oh, for sure, he's going to be at like 1.3 steals per game. Uh, but also, he never really had a chance to go full starters minutes before. His 25 games in Brooklyn uh, was the first time he's averaged over 30 minutes per game, where in Phoenix this year, pre-trade, he was at 25 minutes, 0.9 steals. Last year in Phoenix, 26 minutes, 0.9 steals. It always felt like if he cleared 30 minutes, he'd be at one steal or above, and then sure enough, in Brooklyn, that's what he did. Everything else felt relatively repeatable, and especially when you consider the fact that his three-point percentage was actually kind of on the low side in his time in Brooklyn, there's actually more potentially there. He's a 39% three-point shooter in his NBA career, and in Phoenix the last two seasons, he was actually at 44%. Okay, maybe that's not repeatable, but he was only at 37 in Brooklyn. If that goes back up to 39 or even 40 his overall field goal percent moves from 47 to 47.5 to 48 to suddenly becoming not even just a neutral number for a, an outside shooter, but actually a possible positive. I think I like Cam Johnson a lot. And again, I don't know exactly where these guys are going to get drafted, but I'd be pretty floored if he was going top 50 or higher in drafts. Because he's not super exciting. He feels like the kind of guy that could slip into that 70s range and then just be kind of like a clean single on draft night. But maybe people are more annoyed with him because of the injury stuff. I don't know. And the last name on the Brooklyn Nets we want to talk about is Spencer Dinwiddie, who was uh, in the top 80 with Dallas pre-trade and then saw his both percentages fall straight off a cliff in Brooklyn this year. Um, and the issue there, of course, is that for many, many years, Spencer Dinwiddie was a super low efficiency guy. And then in Dallas, playing alongside Luka, a lot of that stuff got better. So for Dinwiddie, his, you know, his sort of coming out party came in Brooklyn pre-move to Washington and Dallas and during those years in Brooklyn he was at 39 percent 44 42 percent from the field had an injury year got moved he was at 38 percent in Washington and then he went to Dallas and he was at 50 for that partial season and then he was at 46 for this most recent partial season and then dropped right back down to 40 in Brooklyn is that the Luca effect Maybe a little bit. Is it that he was shooting better from three-point land than he had ever done anywhere ever? Yeah, that's a big deal. He was at 40.5% from three in Dallas. And over the rest of his career, he's basically been about 32% from three. So that felt like a number that probably wasn't going to stick. But again, that might be partly the Luka stuff. He was also very high in steals back with Brooklyn this year. That had never really been a Spencer Dinwiddie thing, but he got to 1.1. Minutes were super high, so that certainly played a role. His assists were also through the roof in Brooklyn. He averaged 9.1 after coming back. Dinwiddie's going to be one of those guys who, again, because the free throw number has never been that great for him, he gets you to around like league average. 
and the field goal number has never been all that great, and the turnovers were actually relatively decent com- considering how many assists he was piling up. He's going to be a guy that gets overdrafted uh, in nine-category leagues because the stuff that he's bad at, or maybe we should just say not good at, are things that get overlooked by category or uh, head-to-head category league teams po- and points league teams. And the only format where for Dinwiddie, you're like, oh, those things kind of hurt a little bit, is nine-category Roto, which I know we start... That's like the way you have to assess everyone is sitting on a nine-cat Roto base and then understand that you make tweaks to that based on punt builds and points league builds and stuff like that. But nine-cat Roto has to kind of be the foundation upon which you build someone's rank, and then again, you tailor it to your own team. So for Dinwiddie, as much as I liked the fact that he was at 16 and, you know, nine and change assists in Brooklyn, that was lovely. Um, He doesn't hit that many three-pointers, which for a point guard, I mean, yeah, you can sort of paint over that other parts of your roster, but it's a little bit annoying. And then being a poor field goal percent guy again, which maybe that comes back a little bit next year. Tough to say his number has bounced around a little bit. But, you know, again, the free throw number has never... He gets to the line, but he's not really a positive there. And then maybe, I'm a little worried, the turnovers even potentially move up a tiny bit season over season. Is the two-point whatever in... What number did I just say uh, in Brooklyn? 2.1 with 9.1 assists. Is that... Is that sustainable? Hard to say. But again... Those are juicy numbers. Someone's going to look at that for their head-to-head team and go, damn, I, I want that that scoring-assist combination. And they're going to go and snatch him up because assists are hard to get. And if you can lock in a tough category, terrific. But if you're in a 9-cat roto draft, someone's probably going to end up taking him too early because of the impact of all these 8-cat and points league and punt build drafts that mush up a player's ADP like his. Now, there is a little bit of upside there. I use that term in this particular instance to sort of point out the fact that not necessarily it's going to happen, but if the field goal percent comes back up to a more Dallasian number, or if the free throw percent goes from high 70s into the low 80s, that's a way that he can maybe get to his ADP or beyond it. So that's the that's the nine category dice roll a little bit where you're like, well, like the floor is okay because he's got all these he's got these counting stats that he does relatively well, and you know if he's out there for 35 minutes a game, he's going to get you about a steal, and you know the, the, just playing that much as a primary ball handler is enough to kind of keep his value from completely tanking, and then you just pray. Beyond that, you just start reciting prayers that the percentages are not going to beat you into oblivion. Folks, you're down to 12 days now until Father's Day. What are you waiting for? Give the father figure in your life or just a very hairy man in your life the gift of Manscaped. Manscaped Manscaped.com is the website. Promo code ETHOS20 gets you 20% off and free shipping on whatever you get over at Manscaped.com which, by the way, these days is just an unbelievable lineup of goodies. They got goodies beyond goodies beyond goodies. They got the Lawnmower 4.0. That's the traditional trimmer for 
all body grooming needs. A brand new beard hedger I've been telling you about on this podcast that has 20 settings, half millimeter a piece for whatever beard length you want. They finally put that awesome technology of theirs into a beard hedging look. The Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. That's fun if you want to really get into the into the weeds here on the grooming side. And then if you want to just get some smaller items, they've got those too. They've got uh, the plow. That's the straight razor. I use that on my cheeks. I've used that on my neck. That's a fantastic item. They've got the luxury nail kit, which again, I've mentioned on this show that my wife continues to steal off my desk because it's better than whatever she's been using. It's really strong stuff. The beauty of Manscaped and companies like Manscaped, which by the way, They're a lot like Sports Ethos in that they entered a field that had been dominated by Norelco and Remington and these companies that had just been kind of putting out cookie-cutter crap for decades and decades, and they just had to be better. Yeah, sometimes all their stuff about genitalia, that's a little gimmicky, sure, but you got to separate yourself. And for Manscaped, they do that with goofy advertising and just making a better trimmer than everyone else on the market. So go there now, manscaped.com, promo code ETHOS20. Get 20% off and free shipping on your order. Get it for Father's Day and stop screwing around. Don't wait until it's too late. I know you're all going to do that. And then on the day before, you're going to be like, oh no, and you're going to go to Roger Dunn and get a box of golf balls. That's lame, man. The father figure in your life can just go traipse through the woods and find somebody else's lost golf balls. They can do that joint for free. What they can't get for free is the best damn hair trimming and male grooming items on the market at manscaped.com. Go there today and stop screwing about. All right. That was a no BS episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Apologies again about yesterday really being nothing. Today, the Brooklyn Nets. And if you didn't gather... My favorite potential grab on that team, in terms of just like pure value against my expected ADP, probably Cam Johnson. Likely to be drafted near where they should be. Mikhail Bridges, Nick Claxton. Maybe there's a little value in Claxton. And then likely to be ever so slightly overdrafted because of format stuff is Spencer Dinwiddie. And then I don't think I'm going anywhere else on that team. Unless... There's some, again, significant changes. We heard that Ben Simmons is going to try to be ready for opening day. But look, if you trust that guy at this point, you are on your own. Speaking of on your own, I am leaving you now. There, Well, actually, okay, one other very quick thing here before I, I leave you now. Um, news broke yesterday. I forgot to mention it on the podcast, but I feel like we probably have to say something about it on today's show. News broke yesterday. Thank you, Shams, for uh, taking a a rumor dump all over our NBA Finals weeks. But you know what? It's fine because there's a half week between every and ball game that Kyrie Irving is attempting to recruit LeBron James to the Dallas Mavericks. That's a big ol' I'll believe that when I see it. And I don't know anything about how the trade machine works, but I do know that as soon as that rumor broke, everybody that does muck around with contracts and trades was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure the Lakers want like Tim Hardaway Jr. and crappy draft picks for LeBron James. And then someone was like, well, what if he retired for a year? Honestly, I think the Lakers would just prefer to let him be retired than take crap. Uh, I don't think that's happening. I don't know, but I don't, I don't think so. I feel fairly confident 
that Braun's going to be back in L.A. for next year, and then he'll try to figure out where he can go play with his kid, who's at USC for one season. Okay, uh, as you were. Back tomorrow with, uh, we'll probably talk some finals again, because heaven forbid a game actually happens. Good grief. All right, I'm Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers over on Twitter. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. They are Ethos Fantasy BK for basketball on Twitter, and we got all sorts of other stuff going on there, but you guys know about that already. For now, just enjoy your Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.